This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. With sustainability becoming one of the core goals of most organizations today, many businesses now have roles such as Chief Sustainability Officer among their C-suite executives. But how can companies make the most of these new roles and avoid the common pitfalls of integrating this new position into their organizations? On this week's episode, we've handed over hosting duties to expert Stuart Craner. Here he is now. I'm Stuart Craner, co-founder of Thinkers50. And joining him is... I'm Gabriele Rosani, Director of Content and Research at the Capgemini Invents Management Lab. And... Elisa Farri, co-lead of Capgemini Invents Management Lab. Sustainability is much talked about as a, a new corporate in, imperative, but uh, talk does not necessarily equate with reality or, or achievement. So to learn more about the dynamics of work in this and how organizations can make sustainability reality, I'm joined by Elisa Fari and Gab- Gabriele Rossani of Capgemini Invents Management Lab and co-authors of two highly practical Harvard Business Review articles on the subject. Elisa and Gabriella, welcome. Let, let's start with the reality. There does seem to be a gulf between ambition and action. Is that the case, Gabriele? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely the case. Uh, so from one side, uh, the good news is that after uh, many years, companies have uh, go past the skepticism and the lack of commitment about sustainability. So I think this is good news. But as you said, one thing is to have an ambition and and say something, and it's something completely different to do something and have traction and scale also the sustainability initiative. So there is a big issue in terms of scaling the initiatives, uh, make it really concrete and achieve results. I think uh, the biggest reason is the way companies are organized and structured and the way they work, the way they function. They simply were not designed uh, for uh, sustainability. So this is the, the main reason, to put it simple. So we have companies, organizations that are designed according to a uh, traditional uh, profit-first or profit-only paradigm. And this is true for for everything, from structures, uh, decision-making criteria. This is true for mindset of the people, from uh, leadership style, uh, the way people work, the way people think, the way people make decisions. So uh, that's a, a big challenge because it's not it's not enough to change the, the narrative of to have a good intention. You have to really restructure, rethink, reframe, reshape, reinvent the organization, how you make decisions, how, how you think. And, and this is a daunting challenge and it will take, uh, I think, many years to do a full transformation. So, Elisa... Companies aren't designed for sustainability, fundamentally. Absolutely. They are not designed for sustainability. We have identified four main antibodies to sustainability in most organizations, notwithstanding the size and notwithstanding the industry or the market in which they operate. The point that we are calling them antibodies may sound weird, But the point is exactly uh, the fact that the enemy is inside the organizations. And we need to be very, very clear about that. It's not just about adoption or rollout 
of clean tech or compliance with regulation. The challenge here is to rethink organizations and make them thrive in a sustainability era. So your article, your Harvard Business Review article, How Sustainability Efforts Fall Apart, identifies four blockers to sustainability, which, as you say, are hidden inside companies. Perhaps we can talk about those four. I mean, the the four you identify are structure and governance, processes and and metrics, culture and leadership, and networks and methods and skills. Gabriella, which of those is the most significant or are they all equally significant? Yeah, I think um, definitely uh, culture and uh, and the second is uh, processes and decision making. And of course, those two are uh, related. But I would start with the decision making because I think it's something uh, really critical. So uh, you have uh, uh, business processes of any kind in an organization. Of course, in, in those processes, there are some points where you have to make decisions, okay? So today, if you go to a decision meeting and you see the people talking about decisions and having templates or tools uh, to make a decision, so I would say that even if they are aware about the importance of sustainability, then the the process, the criteria, the metrics, the KPIs, the procedures that are there, they fundamentally go against this because they are designed, they were designed maybe 10, 15, 20, even more years ago with a different logic. So the only criteria is basically earnings, profit, sales, uh, net present value. So there are many different uh, KPIs, but at the end, everything goes into one direction. And so even if you have in your mind the idea of different dimensions and not just profit, but also other stakeholders to take to take into consideration. Then when you come to a decision and there is a certain policy, a certain uh, procedure, you are sort of uh, stuck into the system, the legacy system that drives you in the traditional direction. And uh, as long as you reframe this uh, decision-making process, uh, uh, you will always be stuck into this trap, basically, because it's a trap. Uh, Elisa mentioned the antibody. So it's it's a, an antibody of a of an organization. So that goes against uh, you. And, uh, and you have to really touch this and uh, rethink this, redesign this, because otherwise, even if you change the mindset, even if you change the thinking, you have the system that is intrinsically against you. So that's very important. So change the decision-making criteria first uh, together with with the mindset. Those two things, uh, culture and decision-making processes, they need to go hand in hand. How aware are are organizations that these blockers to making sustainability a reality actually exist within within themselves? I think most organizations are aware of the fact that they need to rethink the way in which they are organized and they function. In our daily work as uh, consultants and advisors, we find uh, confirmation that they are feeling a bit lost. They do not know from where to start. And in particular, uh, they don't know which of the four antibodies to prioritize. I agree with uh, Gabriele. The two key antibodies are about culture and the way in which decisions are made every day. Personally, I would like to share with you 
a story. I was facilitating a workshop. It was not long ago. It was for a large industrial company in Europe. One of the participants, a top executive, he praised the, you know, the importance of psychological safety during, you know, one of the uh, discussions. And he was very, very vocal. You know, he invited his peers to be role models uh, and to nurture an environment of psychological safety. The worship went very, very well. And, uh, you know, as an output, uh, they defined a set of actions, uh, a strong commitment on what to do and what to avoid. A week later, I was uh, back at the company headquarters. I was just, you know, sitting in a coffee in a, in a, in a conference room, having my coffee. And, uh, and then the next door, I found the very same executive with his team having uh, his regular staff meeting. And it was simply, you know, ruling them on what was to be done. <laughs> in a way, let me say, not very kind, <laughs> leaving uh, no room for feedback, no room for discussion, just one-way conversation. And what struck me was that, you know, this was the very same person who one week before was praising the importance of psychological safety. This person understood what he was talking about and the benefits, the inherent benefits of nurturing uh, a context uh, like this. But then I, I cannot tell you if he was aware or not, or, you know, if simply, you know, he fell into this trap of habits. But the bottom line is very, very simple, you know? So he kept behaving the very old way. And so this can have a devastating impact on people in large organizations. If leaders do not walk the talk, people will feel disengaged. They will lose motivation. They will not buy in. They will simply perceive this as another theater. In this case, welcome to the sustainability theater. So my recommendations is uh, to start from the leadership, to discuss more and more about how challenging is to change our habits, to change our style, especially because, let's be honest, most of these senior executives, they were educated, uh, you know, in business schools and they build their careers with the profit-first mindset that Gabriele talked about. And this is not true anymore. So we're asking them to change their DNA. And this is difficult. This puts them out of the comfort zone. They need to be accompanied in this journey. They need to be equipped. And my suggestion is that we need more discussion about how people behave in large organizations if we want to uh, trigger, you know, sustainability transformations in a more serious way. You talk about in, the, in your article, you talk about a, a community of practice. Can, can you tell us more about what that, what that actually means in an organization, G Gabriel? Yes, this is about uh, how you structure um, sustainability into the organization. It's important to embed sustainability into functions and uh, departments uh, and units uh, so that uh, sustainability can percolate 
Okay, so having a community of practice is basically a way to a practical way to do that. So there are some companies that uh, have a, a core team at, at the center into the sustainability unit, but also they have a sort of a network of uh, practitioners uh, within each functions, HR, marketing, uh, and business units. So to make sure that the sustainability percolates into the organization. So uh, is, in each function, there is somebody who is part of this community. And of course, uh, this is a sort of an uncharted territory. So that's why it's a community of practice, because they, they need to share uh, good practices. They need to learn. They need to talk. They need to uh, also learn together how to make the change happen. So I'm a little bit, so I think it's important to have a central role orchestrating this. Sometimes this is called the chief sustainability officer. So, uh, but at the same time, it's important to make sure that this orchestration from the center has also attraction in every function, in every unit. Uh, so to, to make sure there is traction to avoid silos. Okay. Because at the end, sustainability is a transformation for the entire company, not just uh, a side program uh, with a, a, a siloed responsibility. So, Elisa, which companies actually get this? Which which companies have you encountered uh, who really understand the the blockers and have, and are working to overcome them? I know you've um, you've cited the example of the NL Group and stuff they're doing, DBS Bank in Singapore. But which which organisations stand out? Well, personally, I feel that there's uh, no black belt yet. There are companies uh, uh, who understood the magnitude. Uh, of such antibodies, and they have embarked on a journey of serious transformation. And uh, in our articles, we cite a few a few examples. But but the journey is long. The finish line is not close. That's why um, we hope with our articles, you know, to raise attention on uh, the importance. Uh, of um, embarking on a transformation journey that tackles uh, these four antibodies. Uh, one of the examples that uh, we've been witnessing very, very closely is the NL one. We have been uh, uh, consulted NL in the past uh, uh, 10 years, uh, but we've also, let's say, joined forces with uh, NL as a, a sparring partner, I would say, on uh, idea and research. And this is the case, for instance, of Ernesto Ciorra, the head of Innovability, who has been one of the pioneers in the last uh, 10 years uh, who understood the complexity of two-day transformations in large organizations and the power of embracing a more collaborative approach. Uh, he was one of the very first uh, who merged uh, innovation with sustainability. He understood uh, that the two should go hand in hand in order to raise the bar, I would say, of sustainability transformations in large organizations. And uh, this is a concrete example 
of uh, what Gabriele was just talking about, of how you can percolate sustainability in large organizations uh, going beyond the approach, you know, of a centralized small team in an ivory tower and embracing, uh, uh, let me say, disperse the model where you have people in each unit, in each function, uh, playing this role of change uh, agent. Um, it's true also that you need to orchestrate this in a very careful way. That's why we should not underestimate the complexity of an architect who should have the levers, the power, let me say, and the resources to orchestrate such a, a widespread effort uh, inside of the organization. So the NL example shows that innovation and sustainability have always got to work Hand, hand in hand. They, they can't work in isolation. Absolutely. What, what about the, the role of the chief sustainability officer, Gabriele? Is, is, is it becoming more, more popular as a, a corporate role? Yeah, uh, so if in the last uh, two, three years, uh, we are seeing an increasing number of companies appointing a so-called chief uh, sustainability officer. I think there is still a lot of uh, confusion about this role and its responsibilities. I think uh, we are in a similar situation we were for the digital transformation 10 or 15 years ago. You may remember uh, the mushrooming of chief digital officers uh, so that uh, uh, it's early days for sustainability transformation. And therefore, it's normal that uh, this new role of the chief sustainability officer is not well-defined. But that's exactly the point so that, that prompted us to write uh, this uh, piece for the Harvard Business Review about uh, the eight uh, responsibilities of the chief sustainability officer. So we try to clear the fog because we found a lot of fog talking with our clients and also having interviews and try to understand. So, And uh, we found some uh, commonalities between these uh, different people. And so we try to map this into what we call a, a spider, a spider web graph of these eight roles, and I, I, I recommend uh, you know everybody to who, who is in this field uh, in the in the in this role to map these eight uh, distinct responsibilities and to see to which extent he or she is uh, covering this. So these eight responsibilities are about. Uh, the regulatory part, uh, communication with stakeholders, they are about uh, program management, they are about uh, culture and uh, uh, capability building. So they, they cover uh, different ingredients uh, because what I've seen is that uh, there is a sort of a skewed interpretation of this role only on you know re reporting or uh, regulatory compliance but i think if you want to make the role very transformative and really a c suite uh, c level role you need to interpret the role in, in terms of driving the transformation and if you want to drive you cannot be a lawyer you need to also touch some uh, cultural and organizational and uh, uh, elements and uh, and shape a different way but it's also important to say that this role is more a role of a co-pilot, of an orchestrator. Uh, so it's not 
the only driver, huh? more a sort of facilitator of the change, of the transformation. So that's why he also needs to have a close collaboration with the other members of the C-suite, with the CEO, first of all, but also with the COO, with the CMO, with the CFO, with the chief HR. So it's a co-pilot for transformation and uh, and it's a transformative role. And unfortunately, many times I see chief uh, sustainability officer only as a label, but they they are not really chief. So they, they have a small C rather than a big C. And here we need a big C, so somebody with a transformative uh, responsibility. And unfortunately, this is not so common in many companies. And uh, I think it's a contradiction to say we have a chief sustainability officer, but it's a two, three level below the, the chief executive. Can you be serious about sustainability and, and not have a chief sustainability officer? I don't think so. I think uh, you may call it in a different way, chief transformation or something like that. Uh, but if you consider the head of sustainability only as a technical role in a sort of a silo organization, taking care of the reporting of ESG or communicating with stakeholders, so, so it's a very technical role. Uh, you will make the same mistake that uh, many companies did for the digital transformation. So they did not see the transformative uh, wave of this, uh, and they became followers. But if you want to be a leader, you need to have it uh, a big C, as I say, sustainability officer. Your, your research shows that only 35% of chief su- sustainability officers Thirty-five percent, three-five percent, reporting to the CEO, and uh, I think uh, we need to go higher. And is there any sign that that's happening? That uh... yes, there is. There is. Uh, I think that uh, uh, if you do research now, or maybe in six months, you will find different figures. But I suppose there must be a degree of skepticism and, and cynicism about this because the kind of fashionable roles. In, in the C-suite keep changing. Chief Transformation Officer, as you say, Chief Digital Officer, Chief Strategy Officer. Is it in danger of becoming meaningless? I think there is a sort of a cycle for these roles. So it could also be that uh, in 10 years, uh, the Chief Sustainability Officer will disappear because hopefully will become victim of his own success. As, as we said, if we, if we percolate sustainability into the organization, if we embed sustainability into the organization and we do successfully, then at the end of this journey, you will not need a chief sustainability officer anymore. Okay. And actually, this is what happened also for the digital transformations that were successful. Maybe 10 years ago, companies appointed a chief digital and now the entire company has become digital successfully and therefore there is no need of a chief digital officer. So I think there is a maturity cycle uh, also for, for, for this role. So maybe now we need chief sustainability officer to trigger the transformation, to, to drive, uh, to, you know, to, to, to do the, the first mile. And maybe in a few years uh, when all the units, all the function will have embedded this concept, maybe at that, that stage, you, you, you can also get rid of, of this uh, um, figure, basically. 
Elisa, you've identified eight critical tasks for chief sustainability officers. It, it strikes me that they're incredibly broad ranging. It's, it, I mean, it's a big, it's a big job because you've got to cover uh, ensuring regulatory compliance to fostering cultural change. There's a big difference in those, and it's, it's a big range. Absolutely, it's uh, it's a broader role. It's uh, it's broadening in the sense that it started, as Gabriele said, on. Uh, a few selected tasks with highly specialized roles in organization, in particular on regulatory compliance and ESG monitoring and reporting. Now it's getting wider and wider. Uh, this confirms the fact that this is a holistic transformation. It sends also another important message to large organizations, that this is a journey that cannot be tackled by a person alone, by a single team alone. There's the saying that it takes a village. Uh, I would, you know, say that it takes many villages to embark uh, on a sustainability transformation in large organizations. The fact that you're seeing these eight tasks uh, that are, you know, different degrees of complexity and with different scope, uh, does not entail, you know, that one single person or one single team should be accountable for the delivery or the execution of all the eight tasks. We are seeing organizations that are, you know, adjusting the organizational archetype to make sure that all the eight tasks are covered and orchestrated by a big C chief sustainability officer, but then executed, you know, uh, across uh, the organization. And so they are equipping uh, other functions, uh, the business lines uh, themselves, uh, you know, they receive very clear objectives and metrics to track uh, progress and uh, Results on, on social media, when we posted, uh, you know, our article, a lot of buzz was created on these eight roles. Uh, most people, you know, they recognized uh, themselves and their organization in these uh, eight roles. We had very fruitful discussion with people who wanted to add some tasks that were not included in our, in our list. Uh, but uh, we found in a consistent way, the very same feedback. So this is a broadening role with a broadening scope. Uh, the list could uh, get even longer than eight tasks. Uh, the point is not uh, eight, nine, or 10. The point is, uh, are we as an organization equipped to tackle, cover, and orchestrate these eight tasks in a way that we can accelerate our sustainability journey? And presumably the role will, as, as you say, evolve over time and the emphasis in the eight critical tasks will, will, change, will change over time. And in, in the long term, presumably from what Gabriella said, the, the, the role will be effectively redundant because the uh, sustainability will be built into the organization's culture. Absolutely. I know that this might sound, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, weird to many, uh, but last week uh, I was having a one-to-one uh, conversation with uh, a chief sustainability officer and, and this person, this lady told me, Elisa, you know, I will feel that I achieved my goal, that uh, we 
are finally and ultimately a truly sustainable company when the company will no longer need me as a chief sustainability officer. Because at that point in time, we will know that sustainability is so embedded in our culture, in our business model, uh, that there will be, you know, no need. Uh, it will be, as you said, redundant to have me as a chief sustainability officer because people will have made that shift in a permanent way. So yes, in the future, I would say that the ambition uh, should be, you know, to get rid of the chief sustainability officer. Uh, but uh, the current scenario that uh, we analyzed together with Gabriele and Paola, our co-author, um, confirms that there's a strong need as of now for such a role, uh, for equipping this role with the right levers, the right mandate uh, to accelerate this transformation. Which size of company uh, should have a, a chief sustainability officer? Does it apply to all kind of medium and large companies or there are the specific companies in specific industries of specific sizes where it w would work best, do you think? I think uh, so. Uh, our uh, research looked mainly in uh, large organizations, but I think that conceptually this could also work for uh, uh, smaller organizations. If I look at industries or sectors, uh, yes, it's true. They may have different maturity levels in terms of uh, sustainability readiness that we also see in, uh, in the economy. So there are sectors that are uh, behind and sectors that are uh, ahead. But I think in terms of the, the trajectory, this will be valid for, uh, for all sectors. I don't see why a sector should be excluded of this. Uh, maybe it will come later. Maybe they, they don't feel much pressure right now, but definitely this pressure will will come. Of course, there are sectors uh, that uh, started earlier because they there were some exogenous factors, laws, regulations that they came first for for those sectors, and probably they are a little bit a little bit ahead in terms of uh, uh, cycle. I don't see why there should be exceptions in this uh, in this transformation, which is very similar also to what we have seen in digital transformation. So all sectors, sooner or later, were uh, impacted by by this. You mentioned your your spider graph you you developed to capture the different tasks of the chief sustainability officer. Now, I presume if if you want to create a, a CSO role. A good way to start is by doing this graph. C can you just talk a bit more about the uh, how the spider graph works? It's a, a visual graph. It's basically an octagon, and on each uh, uh, corner you have one of these eight rolls, uh, starting from the more traditional and traditional ones like the regulatory and uh, reporting and then coming to the more transformative ones like uh, culture shaping or uh, ability building in the organization or embedding into processes and decision making so there is a logic going clockwise and uh, and then basically what we have seen it it, it works very well in a, in a team setting so in workshop where the, there is a discussion between the people so we go one role by one saying, okay, what's our positioning from one to seven on this specific role? Is the role cover, first of all? 
if, if we discover which functions right now have some responsibility, is, are there overlaps, duplications? Now, that's also important to, to clarify who, who is doing what on that specific role. And then you go role by role, and then you try to position. And what typically happens is that uh, what we often find is that the, the role is a little bit skewed toward, I would say, northeast. And uh, you should move this from northeast also to southwest. Because, uh, as I said, if you go clockwise, uh, the more transformative roles are more on the southwest part of the spider web. So I think it's also important to understand the how they shift, okay, and then uh, what to prioritize in terms of shift, okay? Because it's, of course, you cannot cover everything overnight. Eh? So you need to have a trajectory. And so I think logically you should move from northwest to southeast of this part of the web uh, to make sure that you really have a transformative uh, role and not just uh, uh, a somebody ticking uh, checkboxes or uh, you know doing reporting. That's very important. Elisa, where, where are we in the journal, journey to organizational sustainability? What, what stage do you think we, we are? We are definitely accelerating. So compared to a couple of years ago, we are seeing a strong acceleration across uh, industries and across sectors, uh, which is a very good sign. There's, um, let's say, a pressing uh, priority and urgence on uh, embarking on a journey that starts delivering first concrete results. The fact that, you know, the number of chief sustainability officers uh, has been increasing so rapidly in the last uh, two, three years, uh, um, reassures us in the sense that if organizations are appointing dedicated people to drive and accelerate on this, confirms the fact that they believe in this uh, transformation. On the other end, our research shows also that these chief sustainability officers need to be accompanied and equipped, both in terms of resources, widespread skills and capabilities, in order to better orchestrate all these eight tasks. Going back to the question that you asked before, you know, about smaller or medium-sized companies, what we are seeing, for instance, is you know, a trend of merging some existing roles with sustainability. I gave you the example of NL with innovation, but there are other examples of organizations that are merging sustainability with HR, for instance. And so they're leveraging the experience, the toolkit, the practices of HR to accelerate the transformation on the people, on the people's side. Um, so the answer is yes, we are on the right track. Uh, we need to speed up. Uh, we're running out of time. That's a fact. And uh, so I want to be optimistic personally. And, and where does your work go next then, Gabriele? Yeah, so you, you mentioned the, the two articles we published for HBR. The first one uh, highlights the, the four main barriers. The second one focuses on structure and role, so on only one of those four barriers. So we are now uh, 
deep diving into each barrier. So we want to cover culture, want to cover uh, processes, decision making in particular, want to cover the methods. So the first article was sort of an umbrella article. The second one was focused on the first barrier, which is the organ- or- organization and, and, uh, and governance. And, uh, and so we will continue you know, on the other three barriers to do further research. And in particular, I think we, will foc- we are focusing on uh, decision-making. Because as I said at the beginning, as long as there is criteria, metrics, KPI to drive decisions in a certain direction, which is biased against profit, you will never be able to do a transformation towards a, let's say, stakeholder capitalism. You will be trapped into the old system, into the legacy system, and uh, uh, all these winds will blow in the direction of uh, profit only. So I think we need to really find a concrete way to help managers rethink their decision-making processes and criteria, the way they make decisions in meetings, uh, uh, the question they need to ask, uh, the template they need to fill, the supporting tools that they can use to make multidimensional decisions and to do trade-off. Because at the end, sustainability is challenging because there are trade-offs. And, and unfortunately, trade-offs are difficult. And uh, we need to find a way to help managers strike the, the right balance. So Elisa Fari and uh, Gabriele Rossani from Capgemini Events Management Lab, uh, check out their Harvard Business Review articles we've been talking about. How Sustainability Efforts Fall Apart is one article, and the other article is The Eight Responsibilities of Chief Sustainability Officers. And look out for their further work, uh, be published uh, globally uh, in partnership with Paolo Savini, their co-author. Elisa and Gabriele, thank you very much. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. What a truly fascinating and insightful conversation. A special thank you to Stuart, Gabrielle, and Elisa. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Futuresight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.